0: chapter ten of cross currents this librivox recording is in the public domain read for you by chiquito crasto when mrs mcginnis had said that margaret had stayed with her but a week she had told the truth but not the whole truth she had said nothing whatever about the cause of margaret's leaving and for the mother's peace of mind it was perhaps just as well For a week, Jack McGinnis had piloted Margaret to and from Old Sullivan's sweatshop every day. In vain had Mrs. McGinnis pleaded in Margaret's behalf. McGinnis was obdurate, and the poor little woman, always in terror of her husband, could do nothing. Once she had vaguely wondered if it would be possible to trace the woman that Bobby had seen run down by the big touring car. But she dismissed the thought instantly, with a shiver of dread. There was Jack to be thought of, and there were the pawned clothes besides bobby had said that the woman was surely dead he had heard a man say so it would do no good therefore even were she willing to face the consequences of any of the little girl's friends finding her in a present unhappy plight notwithstanding all this however mrs mcginnis was determined that some way in some way margaret should be rescued until that time came the most she could do was to make the little girl's life outside sullivan's attic as bearable as possible to that end she petted and soothed the child all that she could and bound up the poor little pricked fingers every night it was one morning just a week after margaret's arrival that mcginnis walked into his attic tenement crazed with drink and it was while he was raging round the room brandishing a chair over his head that margaret had become thoroughly frightened and had flung open the door and dashed down the stairs into the street. When she tried to go back later, she could not find the way. Once more the weary little feet tramped the streets, and the blue eyes looked fearfully out from beneath a tangle of golden curls. Now, however, there was no black silk coat, no flower-trimmed hat, and the golden hair was rough with a week's neglect. It was Sullivan who found her crying in a doorway. Well, well if it ain't McGinnis's company, he cried, peering into the little girl's face, and giving her the name by which Jack McGinnis had gleefully introduced her, in accordance with Margaret's own assertion on that first morning that she was company. "'What's the matter, eh?' Margaret shrank back. This was a man that scolded when one went to sleep, and that wrapped one's fingers when one's buttons were not properly sewed on. And yet he was the only one that could show her the way back to the woman with the kind voice and loving eyes with a supreme effort margaret choked back her sobs and drew herself erect if you please sir i'm lost she faltered lost yes thank you and she told him the story of her flight from the mcginnis tenement sullivan listened attentively then he smiled with half-shut eyes and picked her up in his arms and I reckon you'll be for coming home with me, then, and be my little gal, he said in a year. And when Margaret screamed and struggled, he repeated soothingly, My little gal, I'll treat ye just like my little gal. And he did. He paid her no wages. For two months, Margaret was held a prisoner in the room with the eight Sullivan children and the sick wife. Not once was she allowed on the street lest someone of the McGinnis family should see her to tell the truth the sullivan children themselves were kept pretty close indoors lest the schoolman spy them school was a luxury for only the rich sullivan said certainly not for a poor man's children who had their own daily bread to earn and his as for margaret she like the little four-year-old nancy was too young for school anyway but she could pull bastings and sew on buttons even better than nancy and every little helped Life in the Sullivan home was yet another new experience for Margaret. She had thought the room unpleasant enough in the daytime when filled with its busy workers, but at night it became the living room, the dining room, and the sleeping room of the entire Sullivan family. She found it far worse. In the McGinnis home there had been a freckle-faced boy and a gentle-handed woman to devote themselves to her comfort. Here there was no one. The man swore. The baby cried and the woman lay back on the bed silent with exhaustion while as for the children half of them accepted her presence with listless indifference the other half good-naturedly tweaked her ears and pulled her hair a method of initiation into comradeship that margaret could not in the least understand perhaps her greatest surprise came on that first night at supper time on the plate before her was placed a large spoonful of chopped beef and garlic and a slice of dry bread well what are you waiting for demanded sullivan as he saw she did not eat mebbe ye don't think it's good enough for ye eh margaret flushed painfully her glance fell before the angry flame in the man's eyes thank you i'm sure it would be very enjoyable indeed she stammered but i should prefer bread and milk please thank you Margaret was not prepared for the shout that greeted her words. She was also not prepared for the onslaught made upon her plate by her right hand and her left hand neighbors. As for her, no further attention was paid to her, and she went supperless to bed. It was Margaret's first lesson, and she learned it well. She found no more fault with her food, and before the month was out, she fought like the rest of the children to obtain her share of a loaf of bread or a bag of doughnuts. She did not say thank you so frequently these days, nor did she always remember to be polite when people asked her questions. A peculiar hunted look had come to her eyes, and she watched for a chance to reach the outer door unseen. She was too thoroughly cowed and frightened to make any serious disturbance, and she did her work as well as her new untrained little fingers would allow. But she grew thin and pale, and half sick with fear and despair. Sullivan was not pleased in fact he was keenly disappointed he had estimated that the greater number of wageless fingers he had working for him the better off he would be and though so small a laborer could not be expected to make a great showing yet every little helped and each day made her older he remembered the case of old gediman across the street that case had not turned out like this the boy was older than margaret to be sure and when the meddlesome schoolman had learned that old Gediman had an Italian lad working for him for nothing, the lad had been taken away at once. The blow to Gediman had been only a temporary one, however, for he had immediately sent to Italy for another boy, and now he had two. Fortunate Gediman! As for Margaret, she barely paid her keep now, according to Sullivan's opinion. He was weary, too, of the constant care necessary to keep her indoors, and out of sight of any of the McGinnis family. He dared not risk Jack McGinnis's displeasure by letting him know where she had been all these weeks. Jack could be very virtuous on occasion. He feared, too, other complications. Someone would be hunting for the child sometime. In truth, he could not and would not take the risk any longer. It was then that he took the little girl away one night and handed her over to his cousin Tom Sweeney. He owed Tom a good turn anyway, he said. Sweeney made paper bags in a cellar not far from the Bowery. There were many boys and girls in Sweeney's cellar, and they all pasted bags at four cents a thousand. They stayed there day and night, too. It was safer, Sweeney said. If they should go out on the street, they might be seen, and their work stopped. Yes, it was safer inside. Sweeney also feared the schoolman, it seemed. Sweeney himself did not like to work. Neither did his wife nor his wife's brother. But after all, they did not need to work much, for the six little Swaneys and the other children could turn out many, many thousand bags every week. Some of these children must be paid a few cents for their work, to be sure. But there were others concerning whom Swaney was more fortunate, his own children, Margaret, and a boy whose father had died since placing him there. Margaret thought the cellar even worse than Sullivan's attic. To begin with, it was not light. Indeed to Margaret it seemed that the only use for the sputtering, ill-smelling lamp on the table was to show how dark the room really was. The room under her feet was littered with scraps of paper, and everywhere was a sickening odour of paste. It was here that Sullivan left her, and it was here that Margaret increased her knowledge and her earning power by learning the art of bag-pasting. It was not long before Margaret found that paste and paper could be fully as unmanageable as with thread and needles at first She found also that Sweeney's wraps, cuffs, and shakes were administered with even greater force and frequency than had his cousins been. There were times when Margaret cried, even the soldier father was powerless now to keep the tears from falling. Indeed, he was almost forgotten by his weary, frightened, perplexed little daughter. but Margaret, with a wisdom born of bitter experience soon found that crying did no good in time her little fingers learned to turn the pasted sheets almost automatically and hundreds of times a day her little tiny fist came down with a thump that marked the completed bag margaret thought sometimes of running away twice she did run away and twice she was brought back she was not sorry after all for they did have something to eat in the cellar and she was hungry end of chapter ten Read for you by Chiquito Crasto, Birmingham, Alabama.